You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. I want is for gibbons and their calls and their conservation crisis to go viral bigger than the silly chicken sandwich which one tastes better what can they teach us and the gibbons we have as a life raft to the wild populations but also giving us greater understanding of gibbons in the wild and and she's one of the leaders in the world doing that so it was a real treat to Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And Chris, there is no better way to start a podcast. It's, oh my gosh, I get chills listening to that and to be there and to hear 38 Gibbons singing is awe-inspiring. It is amazing. It's just incredible. It's beautiful. Ah, like a chorus. It is. And is in the last, the very last one you heard was the Northern White Cheeks that were right behind me. And those are the gibbons we're going to be talking about today, specifically. And, and then we'll talk more about gibbons, but it is an amazing experience. I cannot wait till you and John come out to California and I get to take you there and you get to experience that for yourself because it is probably one of the most rare sounds you'll hear on earth because there's only about three or four gibbon centers worldwide. And the only one in the United States is about 30 minutes from me. Oh, Chris, yes. Road trip for sure. I love. I would love that. Oh, I couldn't even imagine. I would just listen to him sing all day. And we're so blessed here in Gainesville that there is a family of white-handed gibbons that I get to encounter. Not every day like my husband, but multiple times per week when I bring the boys through the zoo. And they're not always calling, but... Whenever they are, it's just the highlight of our day. It's just so beautiful. Oh, yeah. And they're so interactive. And it's pretty much like looking in the mirror, especially when we <laughs> describe the female northern white cheek gibbon. She reminds me a lot of herself with her, her black mohawk <laughs> yes. of hair. Yes, she does. She does. She does. That is, that's the, from the Given Conservation Center. And, and if you've been following us on Instagram or Facebook, I've been hinting at this one for a few weeks. Angie and I have been, have been really planning to cover this species. And I've been very fortunate to, to work with the director, Gabby Scholar, which we're going to talk about later uh, here in a second, about you know the center there in Santa Clarita, California. And then obviously I know back home in Florida that you're very fortunate and John's very fortunate to be able to work with these animals. But Gibbons this week, they are amazing. 
But Angie, the the heartbreaking story of Gibbons is what really surprised me this week in just how much trouble they're in right now. Like they're in deep, deep trouble. I know, Chris, of all the 19 to 20 species, depending on how you look at their, their DNA and how they're related, all are threatened or endangered and some are critically endangered like the northern white cheek gibbon that we're going to be talking about today. It is, it is really dire out there for gibbons, for sure. It is. It is. It is. It is. And that's, I hope today, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about this incredible species, multiple species, but this incredible animal, the gibbon, and then give you some heartwarming stuff that there are, again, people out there fighting day in, day out to save them, sure, and like Gabby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some tips of what you can do from your couch or when you're shopping mm-hmm. at your local grocery store, things like that. And um, so hopefully today you'll be super inspired about Gibbons and this just cool, cool family of apes or lesser apes as they're known. And mm-hmm. you'll want to share this podcast with some friends that maybe have never heard this beautiful chorus of Gibbon singing. And if you're one of our zookeeper friends out there, we know you know the Gibbon call. In fact, that's a lot of way right. us zoobies will greet one another when we see each other because it's just so <laughs> astounding, their calls. And so, but yeah, and if not, teach a friend. And man, right. it's, right. it's just crazy to me, Chris, really quick. Like right now there is, and I don't really even follow this. This is my, my trendy friend, Anna tells me a lot about like what's hip mm-hmm. and happening. And, and, and mm-hmm. there's like a, a whole fried chicken challenge or something with, with one of the chain restaurants, Popeye's who's got the best chicken sandwich and it's gone viral. And I don't, I don't, I haven't even clicked on it. I don't even know, but all I want is for Gibbons and their calls and their conservation crisis to go viral bigger than the silly chicken sandwich. Which one tastes yeah. better? You know what I mean? And, uh, and that can happen yeah. through people sharing information, getting people inspired because my goodness gracious, Chris, if people are getting inspired about a chicken sandwich, I know, I know like that. Know. Those calls <laughs> you opened up with will blow any I chicken know. sandwich out of the water let alone how closely these gibbons are related to us from an evolutionary point of view. When we get to their behaviors today, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about just like us humans, they're monogamous, theoretically. Mm-hmm. And if you stick with us, <laughs> you'll learn if gibbons sometimes get divorced. Okay. That, like I'll, us humans. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is not in a typical monogamous species, that's not seen. Unless you're human, of course. Yeah. So... There's just a lot of amazing behavioral reproduction. Uh, mm-hmm. Either nutrition's really cool. Just tons of fun stuff that you're going to learn today if you stick with us throughout this pod. And like Chris mentioned, hopefully with all the sad numbers and all of that, hopefully some uplifting things. And Chris is, of course, going to highlight the Gibbon Conservation Center yeah, right. and a documentary coming up, which once again – Hopefully you'll check it out and share it with your friends so people can love on the Gibbons the way they're loving on this weird chicken sandwich. (laughs) It's true. It's a good point, you know, and it's as the Amazon burns down and people are talking about how many billions they raise for Notre Dame in Paris, which I've been to, love it, beautiful church, very endearing to our history. But here Mm -hmm. the 
uh, the lungs of the planet are burning down around us and we can't raise any money for it. So good point. Good point. Thank you for alluding to the documentary. And what it was is Angie and I were invited to a special screening in here in LA at the LA Film School on a documentary called Violet is Blue, A Tale of Gibbons and Guardians. Now, this isn't your typical nature documentary. This was Hollywood. Emmy award-winning director Alex Asmi took a special interest in the Gibbon Conservation Center here just outside Los Angeles. And unfortunately, Angie wasn't able to make it, but I did get to go. And Julie and I had a wonderful time. Yeah, I time. couldn't, I couldn't yeah. find the right dress. Let's, let's just kidding. <laughs> but it was, it was... I if I would have gone, I would have worn my, my zookeeper shirt and khaki, khaki shorts. Yeah, kept it real. you would have fit, fit in. You would have fit in. I know, was, right? Uh, exactly. It was an amazing documentary on this conservation center. And while the Gibbons were the, the stars of the movie, it really, he does such a fascinating job on documenting these women you know it's basically all women that work there and gabby is the director there and then her staff how they dedicate their lives to preserving the species and right. and i'll tell you angie i've i've been there twice now made the drive to go up and i had these are conservation heroes i mean we talk about them we interview them you know you've just conducted an amazing interview with chris fisher you know, I'm Greg still starstruck by that rock star. <laughs> he is a conservation rock star. I cannot yes. keep talking about it with anybody who will listen. So oh, if you have a, not already, check a- out my most recent interview with O-Search. And if you yeah, listen it's... closely, you can probably tell that I was a little bit nervous <laughs> in the beginning. No, I couldn't tell. Oh, You're amazing. Man. You're amazing. I'm like, this you did dude an amazing is job. it. Like, Yes. He is it. Yes. And oh, yes. but just listening to talk, he called me right down because he was very he's just very, yeah. very good with describing his passion and all the great work they're doing for great white sharks and other marine life in general. Oh, it was you did such an amazing job of that interview. It was it was a phenomenal interview, phenomenal insight into sharks and what's going on in our oceans. So, you know, he's a conservation hero. I look at Gabby and her staff who works twenty four seven, seven days a week. 24 hours a day caring for these animals. And so anyways, getting to the point, we have an interview with the director, the producer, and Gabby coming out on Thursday. I also did conduct an interview one-on-one with Gabby, which will be coming out here in the next few weeks. So look for that. And it's just an amazing documentary. It just came out in April, already won multiple awards. It's being shown at a lot of local film festivals. So check out that interview on Thursday. But that's what really helped push us and move Gibbons up forward, right? I mean, we've been wanting to cover of them course. for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So just really quick, you know, thank you for our Patreon subscribers, you know, just a shout out to Oliver and Ellen uh, this week who joined us. You know, Angie and I just released our sperm whale episode. Oh, this is a good one. So good. Those yeah. guys are, once again, a game changer, man. That was so fun to prepare. So interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. It was a good episode. I, I, yeah, I didn't yeah. know a lot about toothed whales, so. Was yeah, check it out if you one. haven't already. In and many thanks, Oliver and Ellen. We really appreciate your support. No, it's just they they joined the uh, the team over there, and we're giving some early access content. And we're going to be doing conservation news here in a couple of weeks. Just and and we give back. Last month, you know, I sent a check to Dr. Greg Rasmussen 
with the African painted dog research that I know specifically goes directly to his research. So thank you that we're making a difference. We're all making a difference. Thank you. Yes. That's the most exciting part for me. And Chris, I just want to give a quick shout out to the Gilly G I L I shark conservation. And they can be found at Gilly shark conservation.com. I've been in conversation with them this week talking about both the O-Search interview that I did with Chris and then also the Great White Shark episode that was released prior to that. And yeah, they're just an amazing group over in the Gili Islands, which is in Indonesia, working to promote shark conservation through education, which we know is super key, and of course, research. And their group has also been able to identify one of the first recognized shark nurseries around Indonesia, which we touched on shark nurseries for great white sharks in the O-Search interview. So yeah, I just, so I just want to give a big shout out to Gilly Shark Conservation over in Indonesia doing the work out there, conservation heroes, like them on Facebook or check out their website. It's beautiful to learn more about the sharks that live in that area. And just to know that basically three people that love the ocean can start an organization like this and make incredible differences towards conservation of the species that they love and also helping the ocean along the way. And we'll put a, we'll put a link on our show notes too under the great white episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's wonderful to, to see people around the world fighting for, for all these these animals and the species. Now, let's jump into gibbons. I mean, we know gibbons are not monkeys, but lesser apes, as you said, Angie. So just really quickly to remind the listeners, mm-hmm. great apes, mm-hmm. you've got your chimpanzee, your bonobos. Mm-hmm. So Bonobos, we're do we have to cover soon. them soon. I read a whole book on them. Yeah. Yeah, they are yeah we're definitely going to do them so soon. So cool, their behavior. As soon as Jane Goodall mm-hmm. says she's going to come on, we'll do... Oh, right. <laughs> I know, I know. I want Jake. That's when we can just drop the uh, orangutans. Like, I'm out. Yeah, awesome. we're done. Yeah, we're done. We're done. Yeah, orangutans, uh, gorillas. So those are all the great and apes. humans. Now, the, and humans. Sometimes we're not us. great. Then, so that's what I no, would no, probably no. say. Yeah, we've, uh, but we can be. Else. And then People you have the less podcast fall into the great ape category. How about that? They do, they do, and the Gabbies of the world, and mm. and the Chris Fishers of the world, and and those folks, the Greg Rasmussen's. Then you have the lesser apes, so you have the Gibbons and Simings. Mm-hmm. So that's really what we're focusing on today. Now, what does that mean? So the difference between apes and monkeys, you know, apes don't have tails. Now the lesser apes, they're like an ape but smaller, which we're going to get to here in a second, and they don't exhibit some of the more complex behaviors, nest building. I know talking to Gabby the other day, she was telling me how their attention span is very short with gibbons, like very, very short. And, you know, between monkeys and apes, apes have broader noses and larger brains. Now, tool use in great apes, we see quite a bit. Lesser apes, not so much. And monkeys, really not, even though there are some monkeys that do use tools, though. I mean, I've seen it. Yes, I think it's a species by species basis. And it also probably depends on their ecosystem or the habitat that they live mm-hmm. in and how, you know, what they've evolved to yeah. eat per se. Uh, yeah. But I do have to note too, it, and it's super fascinating to talk to people that work with gibbons. And that's why we'll bring on a special guest here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did read that 
as far as intelligence go, of course, being in the lesser eight family in general, or even the monkeys, they are really intelligent and they do pass the recognizing themselves in the mirror test. Yes. 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 A sign of higher cognition that we keep finding these, we keep finding these animals. We just mm -hmm. keep finding out more and more that there's more species that can do it because we're learning how to understand them better. And evaluate it. Evaluate evaluate it. it. Exactly. The science is changing. Yeah. And Gabby did talk to me about the Gibbons using iPads. And recognizing, well, there you go. I can't even use one. Yeah. So, I mean. <laughs> Very true. But, but you don't eat, try to eat it after you're done with it, which the Gibbons try sometimes, to do, I guess. Sometimes. <laughs> if I, I, guess. I mean, definitely. I have for sure scooped up some salsa on a chip. The salsa has fallen onto the iPad or the computer or my phone. And you said no, on it. And, oh, yeah. I've licked that salsa off. I'm, I'm not going to tell a lie. Okay. I really well, love we'll salsa, get more though, into it. so. <laughs> well, okay. Gabby's interview, we got to talk about that. So that'll be coming in a couple of weeks. But uh, I thought it was pretty fascinating, her insight with looking at the behaviors of them. Now, talking about small ape, you know, looking at size, it's going to depend on the species. You know, anywhere from their body length is two feet long or 65 centimeters or as short as 16 inches long or 40 centimeters. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just the body because they have really incredibly long arms that are probably just as long, if not longer than their body. Yeah. Or another way to think about it is their arms can be about 1.2 to 1.4 times the length of their legs. So really long. Yeah. And they're really long. mm -hmm, And the Northern white cheek actually has long arms for a given. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. keep that in mind too. So they're even longer than the average given. Yeah. Oh, their fingers are as long as ours. Yeah. I mean, oh, and, yeah. and they're small, mm-hmm. you know, two feet long given or two feet body length given. And then their fingers are as long as mine. Mm-hmm. So it's, we're going to get to some of their physiology, the, how they, they fly through the trees. It's amazing to watch them. Now weights, you're talking anywhere from 30 pounds or 12 kilograms down to 10 pounds, five kilograms. So again, you get an idea. What is that? A medium sized dog to small sized, smaller sized dog. I mean, not Chihuahua size, but you know, you're talking beagle size, something like that, uh, weight wise. And of course, this is going to be fun. Their colors vary by species. Yeah. That's one thing I oh, noticed. Oh yeah, you know, their fur yeah. is anything from dark to light brown shades, black, white. I mean, they're it's it's all over the map. And then of course they're. They have different patches or highlights depending on which species they are. So, of course, with the northern white cheek, the male is completely black with mm-hmm. white cheeks. Adorable. Yeah. Super adorable. And so gibbons in general, their fur col- coloration is sexually dimorphic. And that's just a fancy word for the males and females look completely different in color. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. For the northern white cheek, once again, the male is black with just the white cheeks. And the female is pretty much the reverse. She's like a white creamish, tannish color, if you mm-hmm. will. Uh, all, all that light cream, tan color. And then a black mohawk, thick mohawk. The hair doesn't <laughs> actually so stick up uh, further like a mohawk would. It's just... In into the fur, and so maybe it looks like a helmet, if you will, or a stripe down, a big fat stripe down the back of her, mm. her head. Which, like I said, I can just relate to 
goofy looking uh, things on my head, if you will, because whether it's my hat or my hair. Uh, but she's gorgeous. Yeah, she's yeah. she's a real looker. He's a real looker. They're just a really cool pair. Totally mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they sing. They sing. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But uh, just beautiful, beautiful animals. And so one of the the things you know, again, we're highlighting today is how crit- critically endangered this species is specifically, but how gibbons as a whole are in deep, deep trouble. If you look at where they range, so it's going to depend on the species, which I'll get to in a little bit. But you know, you're going anywhere from India over to southern China and then down. So Southeast Asia, you're going through Thailand, you're going through Vietnam, Laos, into Indonesia, right? So that is where the a highlight of on the planet that we've been talking about, where you're getting massive deforestation, massive clearing of land, which we're, you're going to talk about palm oil. You know, we're talking about that here in just really quick in a minute. Right. And especially yeah. on the and the islands, there's just not that much land to begin with. Mm-mm. All right. So it's Mm-mm. not this huge, vast, vast space. There's not a lot of places they can go. Right. So when you're talking about tigers down here in this part of the world, talking about orangutans, this part of the world, gibbons, all of these major species, the saula, another one, Sumatran rhino, another one, these massive species we've talked about. You know, this is a hot spot on on planet Earth. I mean, not only is the Amazon burning right now today as we record this podcast, but this part of the world is suffering. Wildlife are suffering and disappearing quickly, quickly. And it's really important, too, to point out that the tropical region the gibbons live in, out of all the different biomes, the Arctic, the desert, the deciduous forest, the tropical forests are the most diverse in species. Oh, yeah. Not only for mammals, but for reptiles and insects and plants. And so, as Chris mentioned, they're just, you know, they're a hotbed for higher extinction rates because of what's happening over there. And then when you think about the gibbon, the gibbon is an arboreal species, Mm -hmm. which means it lives in trees, and it really hardly ever descends to the forest floor. So living in the canopy of trees of subtropical and tropical forests, the northern white cheek gibbon and all the other gibbon species, when those forests are burned, cut down, Mm -hmm. they have nowhere to go. And land animals might have a chance during some of this horrific deforestation to like run and keep going. But an arboreal species like the gibbon Mm -mm. or orangutan, right? Poor orangutans. Oh, Mm -hmm. man. Uh, There's nowhere to go. They don't go to the forest floor, so that's not even an option for them to get out of the woods. No, it's bad. I mean, and your you know your line of thinking was right into my line of thinking. You know, evaluating this and the tropical forest range for some of the things I didn't know. It is one of the oldest ecosystems on Earth. Is the tropical mm-hmm. or subtropical forest that you know this warm and wet ecosystem, heavy vegetation, like you said, most diverse ecosystem. And there's not really a lot of it. No. Like when we look at the coniferous forests, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the biggest ones. Right. I think it's like evergreen trees like Canada and North America or Russia, lower yeah. Russia, things like that. Yeah. Uh, but the tropics and subtropics, we're talking about this area in South America for yeah. the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it, and, and that's where we're seeing this heavy deforestation. I mean, just alone- right. 
Just alone, Angie, scientists estimate there's over 50 million different species of invertebrates in the tropical rainforest. 50 million. What? Yeah, yeah. That's so, incredible. Yeah, of insects, things like that. And they all have these symbiotic relationships. So gibbons are, are critical. Now, if you look at the layers of the rainforest, so just looking at that, the special ecosystem, the four major layers, some of them that you're referring to, the very, very top is called the emergent layer. So this is where the, the tall trees reach up up to 240 feet spaced apart. You know, they're getting all the sunlight. The upper canopy is get some sunlight. And this is where a lot of these, like you said, arboreal species live. So this is where gibbons live in this upper this canopy. This is where I would hang out. A little bit yeah. of sunlight, not too much. Yeah. Eat lots of fruit. Right, right. And this is where they live and they, you know, sleep up there and, and hang out. Mm-hmm. And, and they've evolved to survive and do very, very well. Then you go down to the the understory. So this is where you get smaller trees, shrubs, plants. Very little sunlight gets there, but high humidity. So some of these plants that do really well in low, you know, little air movement, hot, humid environments do well. And then you have the forest floor, like you said, not much grows down there because again, there's not much sunlight, but this is where you said. But it's a party with a lot of fun guys. (laughs) Yes, it is. There's my joke of the day. But, you know, it's looking at that ecosystem, how special it is. It's so frustrating to see it being destroyed right before our very eyes. And, and and I feel helpless sometimes. Like I do, I do. But I know there's an army out there fighting for it. So I'm very thankful for that. Well, right. And we're gonna we're gonna talk and we're gonna talk a lot about today towards the end of the podcast of how we can help. Right, right, right. So I think one of the big things is with gibbons, you know, one of the, the things I really understand about them. And we've talked about this in fruit bats and some other species, but is their critical, critical place in the food web where, like you said, they eat a lot of fruit. So they're critical for seed dispersal. I mean, very important <laughs> to keep this ecosystem Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a huge ecological niche throughout the entire range. And this is not just for the northern white cheek gibbon, but for all the gibbons. They're mainly mm-hmm. frugivores, and we'll talk about that in nutrition. And so, yeah, they're they're dispersing seeds down to that down to that forest floor. And so you remove that aspect. If let's say you wipe out the gibbons, I mean there's a good chance that the fruit species will also decline of uh, what the seeds mm-hmm. that they're dispersing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, the whole the food web is crazy connected. In fact, I just read an article the other day that said typically a food chain uh in most ecosystems is only about like four, uh, four trophic levels or four different species, if you will, like plants to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to the grasshopper, to the bird, to the wolf or the hawk. Right. And then in a particular ecosystem, and even if they're not in the same food chain, their food web and their interconnectedness is like a degree of about two. Wow, so okay. every species in an ecosystem from plants to fungi to mammals or apex predators are only about approximately two links away. Wow. So, I mean, you take out one and you definitely going to have detrimental effects on others that we're not always taking into consideration. And so I think this is a great example of how important gibbons in general Mm -hmm. are in their ecological niche. Right, Angie. And so we're talking about 
you know, I'm reading 19 species identified. You said possibly 20. I, I agree with you. As we do more genetic studies, it, it's changing all the time. And we've talked to this repetitively in the podcast. And Chris, talking about the abundance of species in tropical forests, mm-hmm. just in 2017, two years ago, a new species of gibbon was identified which funny enough, I know you'll I know you'll get a kick out of this, as will yeah. a lot of our fans. But uh, the species was found in Myanmar and basically named from for Luke Skywalker from Star Wars. Okay. So mm-hmm, it's called Skywalker <laughs> Hulak Gibbon. Skywalker okay. Hulak Gibbon. Just recently declared a species. And yeah. I mean, when you think of that what we're learning in this day and age of our technology and not only finding new species, but then also learning about their intelligence and their cool courtships and family groups and culture, mm-hmm. tool use, all mm-hmm. of it, or radical physiology of deep diving or camouflage that can help us, that could potentially help us humans from a biomedical point of view. I mean, man. Right, and right. And if you find a new species, you get to name it Skywalker. Skywalker. Right? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, like, we've got to say the sky. We got to say I these Hulak Gibbons and I know. all the other ones. And and it's and Chris will run through some of the different species. No, you're right. And it's it, this was so interesting. This is so different from a lot of animal species we've covered because normally we're looking at same genus and then just different species under that genus or many subspecies under that genus. These animals are completely different because we're looking at four major genus with them. And Mm -hmm. it's all because they all have different chromosomes, which is crazy. And I can't remember what episode it was. We kind of dorked out on chromosomes. Basically, humans, we have, you know, 23 and me. That's easy thing to remember. We have 23 chromosomes. Now, we have 46 total because we get 23 for mom, 23 for dad, okay? So, we just say we have 23 chromosomes to keep it simple. Well, in gibbons, they all, these four genus have different chromosome numbers. So, just to go through it really quickly, the family of gibbons, so this is all of them, is hylobatidae. So, that is all of them. Then they go into the different genus depending on chromosomes, so one of the major genus that has the most species, it has nine, is Hylobates, and they have 44 chromosomes. So in this film, I talked about Violet is blue. Violet is a pilated gibbon, and I've posted some pictures of her, and I'll continue to do that on social media. Beautiful, beautiful animal. The film's kind of about her and how she's kind of naughty and all that fun stuff. <laughs> so they, there's nine species under that genus. The Hulak, which you just said, I think now is up to three species. Maybe that's the Skywalker. So now we're up to 20. That's 38 chromosomes. Nomascus, who is the northern white-cheek gibbon genus, has 52, and there's seven species. And then Symphalangus, 50 chromosomes, and there's one species. And they're all located throughout Southeast Asia. So the northern, so the northern white cheek gibbon is scientific name is Nemoscus lusogenes. And Chris, isn't the Simang in the gibbon family as well? 
Right. That's the Cyphomelangus <laughs> genus. The one species is Cymegs. So they have 50 chromosomes. Gotcha. Okay. Right. And they're yeah. at the uh, the southern tip of Thailand and in- Indonesia. So that's where they range. So the northern white cheek, again, the, the genus is Nomoscus. Nomoscus lusogenes is their scientific name. So you have the Heinen crested, eastern black crested, southern white cheeked. The other ones in that genus group. You're getting really good at saying those scientific names. Uh, I love that I just always cop out and let you say it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a lot. I know. I get to sound dumb. I know. You're so good. But on a more serious note, I know we're talking about northern white cheek gibbons, but where do white-handed gibbons fit in? Because that's what John works with. Right, right. So that's uh, hylobates, 44 chromosomes. And they're up in Thailand, down into Indonesia. So... I know John's got a lot of experience with them. There's a special place in his heart because he gets to work with them on a daily basis. Do we want to kind of bring him in to give some insight? Absolutely. Uh, yes. And then John. maybe we can even do a, a given call off. So, <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> if you're lucky. Okay, okay. Well, let me go grab him. Okay. So welcome back to the podcast, John, Angie's husband. Hey, John. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Awesome. And... Thank you so much for coming back on because I know you've gotten to work with these animals quite a bit, you know, seeing you at, at the zoo there. And so we just wanted to kind of bring you in give some insight into working with them, what it's like, and kind of from your perspective as their current conservation status in the wild and this emergency population that we're housing under human care. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So again, thanks for having me back on. It's always great to hang out with you guys. Uh yeah. Yeah, this is such a cool species. Gibbons are such cool species. The thing, the thing about gibbons for me is, I think we as humans connect really well to primates. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's obviously we're primates; they're, we're related to them. Um, and for me, in my experiences, and from what I see, other people, people are just fascinated by gibbons. The, the definitely the the, the great apes have a have a spot that's interesting in relation to to us but these guys you know they don't like to be called lesser apes you know that that's mm-hmm. sort of demeans them a little bit but you know technically that's what they are you know i just don't call it, call them lesser apes to their face because they don't like it uh, <laughs> but they are you know they are really interesting because especially the the family unit we have a I've got a great opportunity to work with a family of gibbons and it's been a very strong family for a long time. Then they've produced many offspring and to watch them all interact together is just so cool because you do, you see this bonding between them and you see them play and you see them fight and you see them argue and you see them work together. I mean, you see all of the family dynamics that you and I have going on with our families Mm -hmm. or that with, you know, you see with friends you see it in them and it's so so cool um you know the it's it's funny because what it looks like from the outside when when you watch them is that that we have a a male eddie and that he's the male and he's in charge of the group or whatever but you know as Mm -hmm. angie loves to point out it's actually not the case right it's the it's the female that that runs runs the roost and i'm like yeah just just like at home it's like like (laughs) exactly you know what you're doing but it's it's the female that runs runs the house but um they're so cool he he's a really great individual 
from the perspective of he does, he watches over his family. He watches over his territory. Um, their vocalizations, I think are one of those things that are really striking as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for us. Uh, and our, in our special location on a college campus, we have people all the time who, when they finally visit us or finally come into the zoo, they're like, Oh, that's, that's the sound that I hear in the mornings right. when I'm walking across campus, you know, when I'm, when I'm, you know, on the other side of campus, it's like, yep, that's, that's, that. he's like, they, people have no idea what their vocalizations are, what these animals are. And, uh, you know, it's always fun to, to show people here's the gibbon. This is what's making the vocalization together as a family unit. They make this vocalization and that that's always fun for me too, because again, I see this kind of family bonding and that's truly what the vocalizations do. They actually help the family bond together, um, establish themselves as a group and maintain those, those family units. So it's, it's really, it's, it's really pretty cool together. Yeah. Yeah. We opened up the podcast with the, uh, the given conservation center when you had 38 of them, it's like yeah. the decibel level is insane. Oh yeah. Insane. Yeah. But it's so special to hear that. So, you know, from your perspective, because you do work with them and your students get to work with them, but from your understanding, you know, we're talking about their conservation status in the wild, you know, what's going on behind the scenes to help them that, you know, maybe you can give us some insight. Um, I, I mean, so the, so what we try to do, it's always multi-pronged approach, right? So, so the first and foremost is education. So we are trying to educate the public about these amazing animals, not just gibbons, but all the animals that we work with and, and really open the door to all animals in the world. So we try to educate the public about gibbons and about, um, palm oil, Mm-hmm. And palm oil is is one of these um, really difficult discussions to have with most people. But when you look at gibbons and you look at the family unit, you look at them all hanging out together and how they interact, and you say, you can take a step today, a really simple step today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to help save these guys in the wild. And it, it kind of hits home a little bit more. So we're trying to educate people about making responsible choices with palm oil. It's not about mm-hmm. cutting out palm oil. And I know you guys have talked about palm oil before. Um, mm-hmm. It's not about cutting palm oil out of what you use because it's in every single thing that you do use. What it's about right. is about making responsible choices and using palm oil that is uh, sustainable and that's responsibly harvested. And that's what you're looking for. And there's an app for it. You know, just like everything, yeah. there's an app for that. There's an app to show you which products use responsibly uh, sourced palm oil and which do not. And so that's a really simple step that you can do. And that literally helps their conservation in the wild. A lot of time it's tough for us to say, you know, well, how do I, what, what can I do to stop elephant poaching? You know, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't use el- tusks and I don't right, use ivory. Right. This is something you can actually do to help sustain um, gibbons in the wild, but also orangs in the wild. So that's one step is education about that. Otherwise, for us, the breeding of gibbons in uh, accredited facilities, AZA accredited facilities, accredited facilities is really important. Again, what we do is we we try to breed sustainably. We, We breed to keep this population going. 
as a life raft, essentially, if something were to happen with all the gibbons in the wild, you know, heaven forbid, we hopefully would still have this, uh, this population left that is uh, sustainable, hopefully. And that's what we, mm-hmm. we try to do. It's, it's two pronged. That's not necessarily, again, what any of us hope for. We're not, we hope it never ever comes to that, but that is part of what we do. It's, it's far more important to try to educate and save what we have out there, the, the wild that's left, the animals that are left. Um, but we will work responsibly with the animals we have. No, and that's a that's a great point because ideally we want to preserve the habitat that's there because not only is it critical to keep gibbons there, but it's all the species, you know, we just talked about, Angie was talking about the diversity top down. You know, it's not yep. just, oh, we need to save gibbons, but what happens when you take gibbons out of that environment? How does that mm-hmm. affect trees, insects, birds, other species? So our main priority is preserving the wild, but it's we're losing the battle. I mean, mm-hmm. we're losing. We're getting yeah, pushed it's, back. It's sad. Yep. Yeah. And we're getting pushed back. So at least we have something in reserve, you know, that we can reintroduce, which we've done with Arabian oryx and a lot of species we've kind of referred to. So, you know, yep. um, that AZA facilities are doing. Is there anything special about working with gibbons? You know, maybe your students have noticed or, you know, that you've noticed over the years that's really, I guess, kind of endearing about the species? Uh, I mean, again, when you're dealing, so you're dealing with a primate, so you're dealing with a, mm. with a very intelligent species. Uh, I, I find them, I find them to be, um, they're, they're so funny because they're always interested in what you're doing, which a lot of primates are. So that's not unique. The great apes more so though, try to figure out what you're doing. These guys are also interested in what you're doing. But they are extremely, what I would say, leery about new things and leery mm-hmm. about um, changes. And so it's it's kind of fun. It's it's a challenge working for them. I, with them, I can't say it's um, exactly fun from the perspective of whenever you're doing anything new with them or different with them, you have to expect their initial reaction to be, "What are you doing? Yeah. You know, what do you, what <laughs> is going on there? Like, what yeah. what are you bringing over? What are you you know, new people yeah. coming over? Um, they're they're just their initial reaction is always just to to be a little bit more standoffish. So the cool thing is it's it's kind of a, a little bit roundabout, but the cool thing with them is you really have to work with them well and get a good relationship with them in order for them to trust you. And then in order for them to, to work with you. Um, Mm -hmm, and it's kind of funny because I I have staff that, that have worked with the same individuals we have for years for the entire time they've Mm -hmm. been here and they've got great relationships with them. And they, they do have that ability to, to kind of, um, to get them to trust them and, and, and trust mm-hmm. when things change. And that's just so cool. And honestly, it's one of those things that people love about animals. People love to work with animals, to, to, to um, experience things with animals and to bond with animals is what people really right. love. And you can really see with Gibbons when you've made it, you know, that's the thing is you can see when you've made it. And the funny thing is after saying all this, I could tell you, 
I have not made it. You know, like with, <laughs> yeah. the, with the givens yeah. at my facility, like, yeah, yeah they don't trust me. They're, you know, if they're listening to this yeah. podcast, like, yeah, yeah, dude, we don't trust you, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. put in the time with them. I'm not able to work with them yeah. as closely as the keepers and some of the other staff members. Yeah. And it definitely shows when, whenever I come around their back area, they're immediately like, what is going on? What's this guy doing back here? <laughs> get, get this he guy only comes here. around when like, there's, there's real stuff <laughs> happening, you know? So it's so funny. Um, but it just shows they are this litmus test of you have got to put in the time to work with them to get them to trust you. And if you right. don't, then it absolutely will show. So it's, it's, it's fun. It's, yeah, you know, again, but for me, I, I like challenges. I like interesting things. And that just for me is, is it shows like, you know, I haven't put in the right. time with them, but I love that my staff has, and they have bonds with them and students have bonds with them. And, and, you know, Again, it's one of those things that people love about animals because they love to have relationships with animals, and you can see whether you have a good relationship with them or not. You know, it's like right, right, it, right. It's it's like a lot of work, and when you do it, it's like, hey, it works. It's great, you know. So it's yeah, it's just a yeah. fun. It's just kind of a fun. There are fun species. Um, there are so many really interesting things about them. There's so many cool facets. Again, and when you have a family group that you get to work with. It's there's nothing like it watching infants get raised by their moms mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, watching her change over the years and how she raises her kids differently. There's just mm-hmm. so much we can learn from right. animals. Right. Again, that's that's you know, I know we we all love learning and we love continuing to learn and hopefully everybody listening, that's their thing too. They love to learn and you get to do that by watching animals and, and studying animals. You get to watch them learn and grow and develop and they are not static. They're each individuals and they keep, they keep right. giving you something new every day. And it's, it's just cool to be a part of. No, it is. It is. It's, it's, they seem just like a fascinating species to, to be around and to be able to work with. Now, Angie referenced something about possibly doing a Gibbon call off. I don't know. That's kind of why we brought you on. She likes her challenges. Now, 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 now let's let's be clear. I think we're one and one with these. You so, definitely yeah. won the hippo, yeah. hands down. You won the hippo. Lions, you crashed and burned. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. <laughs> It's so embarrassing. Let's see where we are with Gibbons. Yeah. Let's yeah. see where we are with Gibbons. Uh, you want to go get your uh, wonderful wife and then we can see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Absolutely. Hold on a second. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. So let's welcome Angie back. So Angie, I told John we're one and one. Okay, with yes. you. So hippos, John won very well. He did very well. And then John crashed and burned after talking so much smack about lions. This so let's true. see where we are today. Let's see where okay. we are today. All yeah. right. Do we want to do it blind so you don't know who's yeah, doing yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure. Okay, turn your camera off. Okay. Okay. Oop. 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 Okay. Okay. Was it? It's close. I. I'm not. I. I, I'm. It's. It's close. And I've got to listen to this, and I got to listen to Gabby start this, 
I'm going to go with A because a little bit wider range in vocal. It's just vocal range. There was just more range there, a little bit more depth. But Angie, I'm going to say the females do lead off the song. So I've got to edge it to A, but it's it's close. It was you both did a great job, honestly. It was very hard. I could I could I could sense the female voice in B, but A kind of wins. I'm sorry. <laughs> so John wins. Is this what you're telling yes. me? Yes. <laughs> I think here's, so. Here's here's the thing. I mean, it's it was uh and it's tough to do. And and here's the reality is that the uh obviously individual gibbons call, but the strength really comes from the pair bond together and they call together mm-hmm. and then as new family units join they all play a part in the given song so it's pretty cool right. to like hear all of it together it's tough to do have one individual do you know really it is it is it is, it yeah. is. Oh, well honey let's give them a duet i think i think that's the way i do it okay ooh, ooh. ovation everyone oh my goodness that was you it's a tie it's a total tie <laughs> it's were, a tie when, Tell we work, when we work together it's a, it's total a tie, tie. It's, total it's a tie total tie it's a total tie that's your one one and one one All one right. and one love you babe one, one, thanks one. for doing that mr gibbon man no that was amazing that was amazing that was amazing because <laughs> he's good but you're right there with him you were right there with him you were definitely right there with him and it is the female given that leads it off or, or from what gabby told me so i you know angie we're oh my god we're, we're, we could do days and days on gibbons i'm just going to give you the quick on evolution it, going back to orangutans you know 20 million years ago, one this is when apes kind of evolved. Between 20 and 10 million years ago, one migrated to Asia that led to gibbons and orangutans. Gibbons have been geo-restricted to Asian ever since. I mean, genetics is thinking this happened about 16 million years ago. And five to seven million years ago is when we get the four genus spreading out. So that, that's that's the general history of them. You know, don't really need to go too much into that, telling their story. I, I will say, jumping into physiology, the life cycle of a northern white cheek gibbon averages about 28 years in the wild. But gibbons can live in their 40s or even up to 50 under human care. Wow. So, That's incredible. Yeah. 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 So they can, you know, taking the stress out of living in the wild, things like that, when they have, especially medicine of a primate, you know, when you have dedicated. Uh, physicians and you know veterinarians that that can really take a lot of what we've learned from humans apply it to a primate i think that it helps extend and well life, nutrition life and all that yeah mm-hmm. yeah 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 they all have their own nutritionists things like that the one thing i really kind of oh my god i'm still getting over that song you guys did such a great job <laughs> is i mean that's just amazing our spare time all weekend we just you know we sing together <laughs> Given song, tiger hut chuffs, you know, lion roars, hippo roars. It's amazing. We're animal dorks. So it, oh, I love it. I love it. One of the things I really wanted to talk about today with them is the physiology and watching gibbons. And I've been able to the last few weeks. And like you said, at, at, at John Zoo there, you get to see them. 
is really, you know, I, I haven't paid a lot of attention until I really watched them, and that's the brachiation. Yes. So talking about how insane they are swinging in the trees. It's incredible. It's incredible when you watch them and they fly. I mean, just to give you an idea, gibbons can leap up to 25 feet or 8 meters between branches, which incredible jumping. And they can reach speeds up to 35 miles per hour or 55 kilometers per hour when they're swinging. Yes. They zip. Yes, Chris. That's what blew me out of the water when I read that. For you and me, that's like a racehorse. Yes, that's flying through the a trees. Horse, triple crown, through the trees. Yes, through the tr- <laughs> without through all the these trees branches. And just think about all the trees and the branches and the yeah. limbs, and and, yeah. and they're just brachiating away. Yeah, and so for those of you that yeah. aren't familiar with gibbons, brachiation is the term that's used for the act of swinging mm-hmm. through the trees. So, yeah, I, I get to use it in my physiology classes a lot. I love that word. Right, right, right. Here's a couple of fun things before we get to a little bit on the physiology of it. They've never seen gibbons moving quadrupedally, so on all four limbs. But they do walk bipedally, which is hilarious. And when they do it, they hold their arms up over their heads for balance. So when you see a gibbon well, their walk- arms are so long, it's like it's like how the, the people that walk across a tightrope probably yeah. have to hold that hold that uh, long pole or something. It's hilarious. They hold their, their hands up. And, and they definitely do have a really nice upright posture compared to maybe some of the other lesser apes. And it's probably, yeah, those, maybe those long, those long arms helping them out. Right. Right. Yeah. And and it was funny, you know, we talked about their finger length and they act like hooks and they're incredibly strong and talking to Gabby, she was, she was saying, you know, they can use them like we use our hands, but they're not as dexterous per se as some of the other primate species. But she did say one of them is good at unscrewing things. <laughs> Fair enough. Watch. Well, yeah. and did Gabby mention anything about handedness? Because I read that uh, with the northern white cheeks, and some adults have been have demonstrated a hand preference while swinging through the trees. So oh, equal oh, that's to us curious. being yeah. right or left-handed, which is not unseen in the animal kingdom. We talk about horses in general are slightly more left-handed than they are right-handed. That's why if you think about a racetrack mm-hmm. goes counterclockwise so that they can pull with their left gallop with their left lead. Right, left right. side is a little bit more dominant, but yeah. yeah. So I just didn't know if she had mentioned so, like, no, wonder, no, that's you'll curious. have to ask yeah. her when he, when he or she, uns- it's probably a she, yeah. Yeah. Unscrews, it is a she. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> unscrews this uh, is playing with the screw bolts. If she notices if, it, if it's consistently a right or left, if there's any type of handedness in them. Oh, that'd be curious. I'd be curious to see that or, or to ask her that. Some of the things I, I read about their physiology. So they have special bones in their wrists that allow Not them bones joints joints okay just i mean get a little well, they, i gotta get a little a little physiology of it. correct yes, yes. Right, well, no, this, they, they, they describe it as a ball and joint right like the the, yeah, ball, the wrist it's like structure. a ball and socket joint because if you think about a human the only ball and socket joints that we have is our hip joint and our shoulder joint and it gives obviously a great deal of rotation where and their wrists, they have it's not a true ball and socket joint, mm-hmm. but it's like a ball and socket joint that gives them biaxial movement. So biaxial is gonna be up and down, 
left and right and like different different degrees and almost you know almost fully fully circular so really really unique that helps them with their grip i would imagine and their ability to be able to swing on a dime if you will mhm mhm well and then just reading you know some of their other physiology so they're flexors and extensors so we're talking about all the ligaments muscles. and the muscles mm-hmm that they're really high powered or work generating. So they have a lot of strength in there. Looked up one study when it looked at muscle mass distribution. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really curious because, you know, for us and humans, you know, I, I like to think of the biceps or triceps as really strong, you know, maybe our wrist muscles. Looking at their muscle mass, their wrists don't have a lot of muscle. Elbow has some muscle, but their shoulders they oh, have yeah, incredibly, yeah, like almost 50% of their muscle mass in the forelimb is in the shoulder. So mm-hmm. they're incredibly strong. Well, Chris, have you tried to cross monkey bars recently? <laughs> yes. Because so I'm my wrist. With you, yeah. I actually just did that. Just tried. I didn't do it. I tried it today when I was with the kids at the playground, and it was yeah. not pretty. It was not pretty no. at all. No, I no. think I got across like, Two or three of them. So I'm going to try to get up to like four or five here in the near future. But yeah, you need you need that shoulder and the delts and, of course, uh, the, the trapezius muscle and the latissima dorsi and all those muscles in the back and shoulders to be able to do that. And mama, mama needs to work out. That's what was clear. I know. <laughs> I know. They're, uh, they are very strong, very strong and able to do that and sustain it you know, sustained swinging. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Now looking at nutrition, we've, we've kind of alluded to it, you know, fruitivore 60, 70% of the diet is fruit based on the species. They do eat other things like flour, seeds, insects. I read sometimes, you know, lizards, spiders, bird eggs. Right. But you touched on something. I just want to highlight. We talked about them as fruit seed dispersers, but mm-hmm. they also disperse other plants, not just the fruit trees that they have interest exactly. in. Like you said, yeah. flowers and seeds from other uh, other plants that we may, may not be as palpable uh, for us, for instance. And so mm-hmm. there's a whole – I mean, people – scientists probably don't even know their whole entire diet right up there in the canopy. I mean, Mm-mm. they're Mm-mm. they're doing a lot. So, Right, right. There is a, there, there is a dearth of knowledge. I mean, there, there really is – you know, in talking to Gabby at the center, it's like – the behavior she's learning, you know, that we're going to kind of talk about here in a second is translating into understanding of these animals in the wild because she's Absolutely. doing a tremendous amount of behavior studies. And you're right. It's, we don't know. We don't, we mm-hmm. do know fruit and we do know some things, but we don't know, you know, mm-hmm. because they're, they're hard to, they're hard to track. They're hard to study. There's not a lot of them. Up. No. So it's, it's challenging. It's challenging. It's definitely challenging. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that they are diurnal, so they're going to spend mm-hmm. the nighttime sleeping in the branches. Uh, they often will sleep together, the family members, and embrace each other. So that kind of reminds me and my family right now, because of mm-hmm. course it's like mm-hmm. a, a whole, the boys always come join us sometime in the night. Um, mm-hmm. And in regards to their family, northern white cheek gibbons are really sociable, and they live in groups of five to six individuals where they're highly territorial 
And I read they really only travel about anywhere from 75 to 150 acres. So they stay mm-hmm. in their, their own areas. And a family is going to consist of an adult male and adult female that are known to mate monogamously. Okay. And we'll touch on that in a little bit, but are they really truly monogamous? Mm-hmm. And they'll typically have anywhere from three to four offspring within the group. And there is hierarchy among the family. And this yes. actually sounds a little like my family, Chris. Uh, let's female, hear it. Let's hear it. Mama Gibbon, a.k.a. Angie, yes. is dominant, mm-hmm. followed by her female offspring. So that would be Gypsy, my dog. Okay. She's number two because <laughs> I don't have any girls. Yeah. Uh, then the male offspring. So then Xander and Zach are probably tied for third. Yeah. And the adult male, my wonderful, <sighs> best given calling, yes, best duet yes, husband, Johnny yes, Kicks, is last. Yes. <laughs> ah, he kicks back. Yeah, you know, I, I get it. I get yeah. it, John. I get it. But also similar to the Mio family is that the individual members will spend a lot of their free time playing, uh, mm-hmm. obviously laughing at the mom trying to cross some monkey bars. That would be me mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, they do, and they also do a lot of grooming, a lot of aloe grooming, where they will uh, groom each other and pick mites and nits out of each other's hair. Which, luckily, we have not had any lice-cidents in our family. Oh, yet. Good. So good, good, school good, good, just good, good. started. So stay tuned. So I don't have to nitpick my boy's hair at this point in time, or John. But the Gibbon family will spend a lot of day just playing and grooming, and of course, foraging. And Mm -hmm. from a nutritional point of view, the families will typically forage together. And unlike other primates, which spend half of the day foraging and then half of the other day sleeping, sounds like a fantastic life, sign me up. Mm -hmm. The northern Mm -hmm. white cheek gibbons pretty much search for food throughout the day. So Mm -hmm. depending on how much sun is coming into the canopy. But of course, they do squeeze in some play and some aloe grooming. And the iconic form of communication, as we have already pointed out throughout the podcast, is that vocalization, that singing. Oh, my gosh. It's just so complex. Mm-hmm. The pitch, the range, the frequency modulation for all of you music buffs out there. The cycling can last 20 seconds and can repeat. Go. It, this intensity can maintain for up to 17 minutes. I mean, it's just incredible. It basically becomes a whole chorus among a family. Juveniles will sometimes join in. And of course, there's solo calls. It's just incredible. And for most gibbons, these songs can reach up to a kilometer away. And so a lot of times these vocal serenades are to communicate their territory and to tell other families, hey, this is my acreage here. Uh, And then they're often used between the male and the female to reinforce their bond and or during breeding season. Or if they're a young male looking for a female gibbon girlfriend. So that's going to be their primary form of communication. But anybody who's been up close and intimate with gibbons, as you have, Chris, you know that there's definitely a lot of other ways that they communicate. So they may open their mouths and show their teeth as a form of threat. And they may make other facial changes to signify affiliation or friendship or aggression as well. It's interesting you say that because I, John was talking about Eddie there at, 
his zoo. And I know Pierre at the Given Conservation Center does not like males. And so you come by and he's like, you know, <laughs> make it as like, stay away. This is my family. It's sure. endearing, but you know, I, I could see it and I didn't want to stress him out. So I obviously backed away, but it, it's, it's fun to see them and, and the monogamy you talk about. So talking about repro, how these animals reproduce, but just the, the social structure is fascinating. So we go back to culture and all those things, but you know, what are some of the, I guess, some of the more basic facts on, you know, making more gibbons? Sure. Well, as John and I already showed off a little bit, one of the ways a male and female will court each other is through singing solos. I know that is definitely a thing that turned John's eye toward me. I'd be hosing <laughs> the are. barn. You are. You're a great singer. Singing, yeah, singing Alanis yeah. Morissette or something. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure he was like, oh, yes, okay. Probably mm-hmm, not with Alanis, mm-hmm. Alanis Morissette. It might be something more spunky. But anyways, so uh, they will sing, of course, as a form of courtship. And once they do hook up, they'll start their family. And their pair bond will last indefinitely, right? They'll be bonded for life. That's monogamy mm-hmm. 101. And for all the different species of gibbons, that's a common trait that holds true to them, that they're monogamous. However, Chris, back in 1998 and then again in the early to mid-2000s, a few different groups of researchers have come out and suggested that certain species of gibbons have a unique twist on their so-called monogamous mm-hmm. relationships. In fact, maybe that's what the reality TV show <laughs> could be called because <laughs> there's a little uh, Orange County Housewives yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah, that show yeah. is going on here. I don't know what it is. Um, but maybe it's like Bachelor in Paradise. I'm not sure. But what they've observed is the kind of like us humans that we get married and we should be monogamous. However, as humans, we all know there's a little bit more drama and there's divorce, mm. things like that. They've actually found that in certain groups of gibbons that they've studied that there's plenty of drama, divorce, infidelity, abandonment, and stepchildren from other Wow. Humans. Okay. That wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. Stop the bus. Back up the bus. Have <laughs> back up this, the bus. That is ultra rare in the wild, in wildlife. Mm-hmm. You know, it that is. You know, it we is. see it, and I don't know why this came to came to my mind. The, the only instance I can think of is Cecil the lion when when he was shot and killed. That you know they were worried about the cubs because you know infanticide is is a thing that happens in lions. A new one comes in mm-hmm. and and wipes out the whatever the family group. So so in that story specifically, Cecil's brother took over the pride and took care of the cubs. Mm-hmm. So he was like the stepdad. That was a rare, that was really rare. So I, I have not come across that in other species or haven't really thought about it, right? Right. It's not the norm, okay? Um, it's obviously, no, I think, no. much more normal or more seen in us humans, right? The infidelity, the divorce, mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of thing, abandonment, unfortunately. Yeah. And it has been seen, like, for instance, when one monogamous uh, pair will, one of the partners will die. And so... That's when maybe the male or the female might come over and sneak a quickie or visit with them. Whether they stay or they go back, it just depends on the individual. And so, but yeah, it definitely a lot more than meets the eye. 
And when we think about why I care about these guys, I know John gave you tons of stuff to fall in love with them if you're not as familiar with Gibbons. But I think they're a window into understanding a little bit more about ourselves too, right? Like maybe there's more than meets mm-hmm, the eye. Mm-hmm. As far, I mean, it could be di- they need more genetic diversity. Like that's why most species are right, not monogamous. Right. Uh, or mm-hmm, uh, maybe mm-hmm. it's to help grow their families. Maybe there's some fertility issues going on. I think it's so early and researchers discovering this that it needs to be explored more. And hopefully all gibbons will be around a lot longer. And Chris, this is even more reason why we need to fight for these guys and keep them around. We're learning so much more about their behavior, windows, reflections to our own behavior. And who knows? Perhaps someday, like Meerkat Manor, wouldn't it be fun to watch like Mm. Gibbon County monogamous maybe (laughs) or something you know some goofy name like that (laughs) and and learn about their dynamics and just watch how they interact i know i know i would love that right uh being the behavior dork that i am (laughs) we all right we know i know we've got some celebrities listening so uh you know we're we're making a pitch for a new animal show you know but the key is they have to be around right they have to we have to save them from extinction so we can learn more about them and uh, perhaps enjoy some of their drama, <laughs> right? We all love oh watching God. other people's drama. Uh, and so it makes us feel better about ourselves, I guess, right? I don't know. And right, so, it does, so, it does, it does. Yeah, why not watch a little Gibbon like, oh, man, that Gibbon mom, mm, she does not <laughs> have her stuff together today. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. <laughs> so... Conservation, brass tacks, Angie. It, it it's not good. It, it's not good. It's heartbreaking. But you know, they're, they're, we'll get to the butt here in a minute. You know, like we said, almost you know, all the gibbon species are under threat of extinction. The northern white cheek gibbon is critically yes. endangered. Less than yes. a thousand. You know, and, and and we're talking northern Laos, Vietnam, and southern China, where they're at. Their populations decreasing. Well, and I should have mentioned. Well, yes, Chris. And I also need to mention, too, that their generation interval is slow, right? They usually give birth Mm -hmm. to one offspring every couple years, and they don't become sexually reproductive until they're seven years or older, and then it might even take longer for the males. Mm -hmm. So, So it's a big deal. And the same thing, too, if you take out one of the important family members, like the mom or the dad... In the situation, mm-hmm. then that's going to screw up the family dynamic, and they're going to have a lower chance of survival to begin with. Let alone screwing up their family culture and all that. So, right, right. It's yeah, it, it's horrific what's going on. And you know, not only like we said, the population is decreasing, but habitat destruction in that part of the world is is really bad. And then poaching is a is a critical thing that the the meat trade or the bush meat trade. And then, like you said, you know, pet trade being captured for pets, which is horrific. So, you know, one thing, I didn't even put this in my conservation tips, never take a picture with a gibbon in Asia no, or wherever you're at. No. Never, never. They no. are not well, pets. Anybody they are absolutely not pets. That gets them as a pet quickly realizes when they become adults and they're strong, even though they're, as you mentioned, not super mm-hmm. tall, they end up getting rid of them somehow because they, they're mm-hmm. not safe mm-hmm. to be around. No. No, not at all. Not at all. Now, other critically endangered gibbons. This one's really sad. The Hainan gibbon, there's maybe 20 left in the world or on the island of Hainan. Mm. And 
you know, Southeast Asia. The Eastern Black Crested Gibbon, 100 left. The Black Crested Gibbon, 1,200 left. The Javan Gibbon, 4,000 left, and they're endangered, where the others are critically endangered. So population numbers is not going in their favor right now. So that's why it's critical that we we vote with our dollars and, yeah, and we speak with one voice. What was the population voice. of the northern white cheek gibbons? It's a th- about less than a thousand, okay. but they still, like we're talking about, it, they're hard to study. You know, right. it's hard to get a a, a population. Well, count. According to IUCN, they don't have a number up there now. This was back in two thousand eight, yeah. their last count. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it is yeah. it is hard to get an, to get a, a count on them. Right. And that's straight from Gabby, you know, who they have the Northern White Cheeks at the Gibbon Conservation Center, which is our organization of the week. So Angie, so Angie nicely handed this off to me since I've been working with them this past month, really the last couple months, uh, getting this all set up. And the Gibbon Conservation Center, again, you're going to get more of it on Thursday when we're talking about Violet is Blue, the documentary with the filmmakers and Gabby. But, you know, again, I did conduct another interview with Gabby that we're going to release here in the next coming weeks. The Gibbon Conservation Center, fascinating story. Uh, Today they house 38 gibbons, four different species. And like I said, Gabby is, is conducting research at the facility. Scientists are coming in to study these animals. And it, the, the research is being applied out in the field. You know, one of the things I've I've been talking about on social media a little bit on, on Facebook was the things we've learned about keeping keeping rhinoceros under human care. Those things we've learned, I know for a fact, if we go back to episode, I think it's like 28, when we interviewed Allison and talking about rhino relocation with the black rhinos in Africa, the reason she was brought in was because of all the things she learned in taking care of rhinos under human care. Our friend, Dr. Barney Long, who we have to have on very soon again. Oh, yes. I'll get him back. One of my other conservation heroes. Yes. Oh, he's amazing. But, the you know, he's leading the effort to bring Sumatran rhinos under human care to protect what's left because there's less than 100 left, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. so they're bringing them into, you know, BOMAs and stuff. And the, the way we know how to care for them is because of what we've learned in housing them. Exactly. So the things that the Gibbon Conservation Center are learning are very critical to not only maintaining the gibbons we have as a life raft to the wild populations, but also giving us greater understanding of gibbons in the wild. And, and she's one of the leaders in the world doing that. So it was a real treat to, to get to sit down and talk with her and then for her to get the gibbons to, to sing me a song. It, oh, it's amazing. I love it. And now, Chris, yeah. did she touch on some of the ways that we can help Gibbons in the wild? Right. So what, she, you know, specifically for, for them and what they're doing, you know, first I want to give their website, please go to it. Obviously we'll put the links on the show notes, but it's pretty simple. www.gibbonscenter.org, G-I-B-B-O-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. And specifically what they need, obviously donations. This is one of the few conservation centers, you know, on one species, again, one of the few in the world for gibbons. So they are a desperate need of funds because they really need to move the center. They're, they're on a lease 
and they lose uh, that lease in a couple of years. So they're looking to move the center and make it a little bit more modern where, you know, they can do more outreach and education. So please go visit their website. Again, we talk about it on Thursday about the documentary, which I think is going to be enormous for them. You can't visit the center on weekends. It's in Santa Clarita, California, which is just north of Los Angeles. She needs weekend volunteers or volunteers during the week. So if if you're in the Southern California area, you want some experience working with these animals, you can reach out to them. Uh, but, you know, the next uh, this week and then when we we have Gabby's interview coming in a couple of weeks, talk more about the center itself and, and what they're doing. But it was one of those few you know places on Earth. And I know you and I both have we have a special one there in Florida that we we like to go to. This is, again, one of those places on Earth that you go and you just you, oh, you're just amazed at the work they do. So so kudos to them. Awesome conservation heroes. I just thank you, Given Conservation Center. We appreciate all you do. And hopefully our listeners will check you out both on at your website and, of course, on Facebook, too. Right. I imagine they have a mm-hmm, Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And, Instagram, mm-hmm. all, all those things. Yep. And Chris, when you were talking with Gabby, did she mention anything that us at All Creatures Podcast or our listeners could do to help Gibbons in the wild? It's, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, talking to the interview on Thursday, you'll hear Alex and then Michael, the producer, and then Gabby talk about it a little bit. Palm oil is the big one. And again, we're going to, we're going to list the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, uh, again, on our website where you can get the app and that's the sustainable palm oil app. That's the big one. I mean, we have to vote with our dollar and companies around the world are listening, are taking notice and are changing because of consumer and consumer habits. So right now, you know, uh, World Wildlife Fund has a scorecard. It's not quite up to date. I couldn't find an update on them, but I did look up some of the worst offenders, at least here in the United States, you know, and some around the world, I think people find these these products. But right now, the three is Cadbury, Ritz Crackers, and Oreos, which is from the company Modeles, and they're one of the worst offenders right now for palm oil. Okay, so here it is. I'm saying no it out more loud. Oreos. No more Oreos for me. I, I know. I'm not a huge, huge fan, to be completely honest. I only yeah. eat the, the yeah. center of it. I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. a weirdo. Mm-hmm. I like the frosting, the cookie part. Meh. So, yeah. yeah. Nope. I am going to definitely not purchase them and also tell all my yeah. friends to not purchase yep. them. They're then, right now I, on, the, not on the bad list. Okay. Yeah. On the naughty list. Yeah. Yeah. And if enough people yeah. do and it or write to the company, they will yeah. change because they will want to promote themselves as sustainable oil. Or what is the tag we should be looking for? Is it RSPO? Roundtable yes. on Sustainable Palm Oil or RSPO palm oil. is right. the best certification right. out there to date. So Now, here's some other naughty companies that made the media a few months ago. So some of the others that are buying unsainable palm oil are using it. And it's kind of a, a big list. So I'll go through it real quick. So Colgate Palm Olive is one. General Mills, Hershey's, Kellogg's, Kraft Heinz, L'Oreal, Mars. I just mentioned Mondelez, Nestle, PepsiCo, Reckitt Benkinser, and then Unilever is the made the naughty list that was a, an article uh on a british newspaper that came out that are buying unsustainable palm oil so 
it's, so just go to your far, local evolved, farmer yeah. market and if you need to eat mm-hmm. chocolate, mm-hmm. buy endangered species chocolate. Because proceeds yes. go back to conservation. <laughs> well, I... Yeah, and I would just say get the app. Get the app and and it's constantly evolving. These companies are trying to change oh, because there is no. a groundswell. Voting yeah. with your dollar makes a huge impact. Uh, PepsiCo and uh Pepsi and Coke just recently announced that they were going to drop plastic lobbies and they're starting to mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, produce mm-hmm. more aluminum products and it's because of people's mm-hmm. outcry of the crazy amount of plastic they produce with their companies so we just need to keep doing that and chris i'm sure we put all those up on our show notes so they're absolutely link but yeah and it mentioned the app's name too as well i know i need to download that because those aren't usually products that i buy too much anyways because i always try to when i am at a grocery store not able to go to the farmer's market i always try to stick to the outside aisles anyways right Mm -hmm. the stuff Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. center aisles is usually heavily processed and therefore high in palm oil but this app, of course, yep. we all have to buy some of those products sometimes. So if there's something on your phone that can just help steer, help you steer clear, you can be supporting the gibbons and other animals yeah. that live. In- yeah, tigers. Mm-hmm. I mean, orangutans. Oh, and yeah. All the the saula, the you know. Yeah, all I just the read an article that orangutans at this rate will be wiped out in the next like. 20 years or something mm-hmm. horrific like that. Oh, it's, so it's, it's we're really bad. we going to try bad. to reach out it's to really some experts so, on that topic here in the near future. So if any of our yes, listeners know yes. of any, let us know, please. Yes, for sure. And, you know, we're just going to keep hammering away. We're going to keep hammering away. Things are changing. Things are looking And Halloween up. is around the corner as well. So right. I know between the Santa Fe College teaching Zoom and a lot of other local zoological institutions – always give nice graphic and memes about what candies are sustainable. Right. And so, yeah, and we're, and we're going to stay on top of it. We, you and I, this is every species. We, we go anywhere near that part of the earth. You know, this is the topic. This is what, this is what's driving them to extinction. And there's some problems with coffee and cocoa and things that, you know, we'll, we'll keep looking into and keep bringing you the tips that things you can do. And a major thing you can do is share this episode. Share, you know, our favorite episode, your favorite episode of our podcast with a friend. We got to spread the knowledge. That's the thing that we really need the most with is spreading knowledge, having the discussions, getting in the political arena and voting with our dollars. You do that. You are a conservation hero too. So thank you. Thank you for listening. You know, we're going to be back next week with another amazing species. Absolutely. Super exciting. So we'll talk to you then. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You win. You win. That's amazing. You win. Together, John, I win together. I know. You do. A duet. A duet like it should be. Take care. Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.